So ten years ago, we stood in ball gowns and were very nervous at a Worldcon together. And yes, we were. Now it's ten years later, and I've got Stina Light on the show to talk about our ten years, her new novel, Loki's Ring, and whatever else comes to mind. And I should be writing season nineteen, episode twenty-one. Well, I should be writing. I should be working on my craft. I should be writing. I should be submitting my next draft, but I'm sitting home watching Doctor. So hi there, welcome to I Should Be Writing. This is the podcast for wannabe fiction writers, and that's not a pejorative. That's just what I've been saying for 19 years, so I'm not going to change it. I'm your host, Mer Lafferty. I am uh, been podcasting for 19 years. I've been a professional author for about 10-ish years, and uh, I like to sit here and talk to people about their work and talk to people about... Um, how to make it as a new writer. And oftentimes some of that is craft and some of that is just getting out of your own way. And so I'm delighted to have with me today, Stina Light, my old friend who I, uh, do we meet at the Worldcon? Yeah. Yeah. In Chicago. So yeah. 10 years ago, 2013 or was it 12? I think it was 12. 12. Anyway, it was 10 years ish ago. Yeah. And um, I'm just still amused by the fact that my father has a picture of you in his living room, because <laughs> w when you when you have your pictures taken for the Hugo Awards ceremony, they usually take every single person alone. But for some reason, they saw Stina and I talking, and we were up for the same award, so they took a picture of us together. It's a great shot. It's a great picture. But <laughs> that's the yeah. only one, the only pro picture I have of me that night. So I gave it to my dad. So my dad's got a picture of you in his living room. Ah, <laughs> but cool. uh, anyway, I'm I'm excited to have you on because uh, your career has done some pretty interesting things in the past couple of years, and I just wanted to maybe not do an exhaustive coverage coverage because you you know have bronchitis and a life, so you wanted to live <laughs> that. But um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Loki's ring? Okay, well, Loki's Ring is a space opera, and uh, with character, most of the characters are either women or non-binary, just like Persephone Station. And uh, overall, the story is about uh, Gita, who is a... She's a ship's captain for a, uh, a sur not a surplus, but she runs around collecting junk, you know, from various derelict mm -hmm. uh, ships Scavenger? and so forth. Yes. It's, yeah. She's salvage. Salvage. Ship ship salvage. salvage. Yeah. Scavenger something. And uh, so, but earlier in her career, she did what, what I decided to call pairing with AGI or 
artificial general intelligences. I came up with a story and we came up with that because of a story that Ted Chang wrote about the life cycles of software objects. Mm-hmm. It was all about how we could actually teach an AGI how to be more human and how much more complicated it is than most AI corporations want us to believe is possible. So anyway, um, she has these two children who are artificial people. And one of them gets in, gets stranded on an alien ring world, which has been illegally mined by a evil corporation who, and that subsequently a, a virus is released and it's killing off people. And so Gita has to go save her daughter and then also avoid catching this virus and also um, ends up having to call upon a a friend that she hasn't that she had a falling out with. And so they kind of have to get the band back together to uh, to go save Re. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, question from the chat. What's the difference between AI and AGI? Okay. AI, I'm glad, that's a great question because I, I, it's, I also feel it's an important question right now um, because of AI has, has always had kind of a patina of snake oil about it. Mm-hmm. And it's largely because they always overpromise and then underdeliver, right? So, it, and that's always been that case uh, since the 1950s when AI became a thing. Um, they initially put something together and were like, hey, we could have artificial intelligence by next Tuesday. And of course, <laughs> next Tuesday came and there was no artificial intelligence. And they went, oopsies, I guess it's harder than we thought, you know. Um, <clears throat> so they're always overestimating what they can do with AI versus what is actually the capability of it. AI is more of a, a narrow program. It's just an algorithm, a program that is designed to do one thing, just one task, generally. Um, an artificial general intelligence is more of what you see in science fiction, which is more of like a person. Um, so <clears throat> we, there is no such thing as an AGI at this stage. And there's a large pos- probability that there never will be. Um, but AI does exist. So right. hopefully that answers the question in a way that's <laughs> clear. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one thing I've, I was really interested to talk to you about, um, as I mentioned before the recording, we had uh, run into Stina at um, Worldcon and we caught up a little bit. And when you and I met, you were writing fantasy. Yeah. I was writing urban fantasy. And now we're both doing sci-fi. So I was wondering if you're like, what was your path to change genres like that? Well, um, my last epic fantasy novel didn't do very well. And uh, my editor asked me if I wanted to write science fiction at that point. And I've always been kind of a little bit afraid of science fiction because I always felt like I needed to know more science than I know. Mm-hmm. My background comes from art and animation. So I don't really, I don't have a science degree. I don't really have a background in science at all. 
So I always felt like I had to have that in order to be a science fiction writer. Don't ask me why. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of, a lot, of the, the, a lot of writers do have that background and they put it in their books and some people eat that up and some people yeah. glaze over. And I think I'm writing for the ones who glaze over with all the science. It has its place and it's awesome, yeah. but, you know, some people don't get into that. Yeah. And I like looking things up. I just decided that um, I would just go ahead and go with it. And whatever topic piques my curiosity, that's what I research at the time. And I, I just have faith in myself that eventually that information will either crop up as something that might be interesting in the story or might be good background information for me to know about a plot point or something like that. I just figure it'll eventually come in handy. Um, I chose AI for the first topic for me to like really study because the only science that I've ever come in contact with, I had three years of psychology. And so as far as far future technology, that's the closest hookup right there. So um, that's why I went with that. Mm -hmm. But I've just been taking it like one step at a time. I read that Terry Pratchett used to do a lot of his research that way. Whatever piqued his curiosity at the moment, he would read extensively about and then kind of stuff it away in a, in a vault in the back of his mind yeah. for whenever it would come in handy later. So I just decided to use that technique and not be so overwhelmed because you don't have to know everything. No. You got to do the, the what is it, the iceberg <laughs> method? If you show that you understand 10%, they'll believe you understand the other 90. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did you feel about the genre change? Because I think a lot of people are afraid of it. Because um, I mine was somewhat similar to yours in that my urban fantasy wasn't selling well. And my editor asked me for pitches. And she liked the science fiction one. So not quite specifically her telling me to do science fiction. But that's how it turned out. And I mean, I could have easily said no. It's well, not sure. like I was yeah. ordered or whatever. But I've always loved science fiction from the time I was a little kid. And I read uh, Ursula Le Guin and uh, Madeline L'Engle. Uh, I've always loved science fiction. So I kind of always wanted to write science fiction. I just didn't wasn't terribly confident in my ability to do so. Mm hmm. Uh, so I was actually pretty excited about it, uh, about the, the, the switch. I also feel like I've always wanted to be the kind of writer that could write all kinds of different things mm -hmm. instead of just the one thing, you know? Yeah. Like John Wayne is only John Wayne in every movie. <laughs> yeah. And then you have Meryl Streep who can do like different things. <laughs> you know, I've always wanted to be more like Meryl Streep. Yeah. <laughs> So always be a Meryl Streep. Yep. Um, so you did that. You did the science fiction and how did uh, you enjoy writing Persephone Station and how did the world respond to it? I really enjoyed Persephone Station. I had so much fun. I just decided that it would be the book where I did all of the things I wanted to do and wanted to see in science fiction and since my whole life trying to find books where women have a significant contribution to the plot, let alone 
yeah yeah <laughs> be actual characters with lines um was pretty pretty dismal frankly when i was a kid there was only dune mm-hmm. and you know uh that was the, that's the only reason why i like dune is because of the benny Gesserit. <laughs> yeah so i wanted to write something we have so, so many stories, so many stories that only focus on men. Uh, and nobody ever questions the fact that there are no women in the story. Yeah. It's just, that's that's the world. That's the way it is. Um, so I decided that I would just write a novel where the opposite was going on. And I was damn well not going to explain it yeah and that that's the mode i'm going to be in for a while <laughs> yeah yeah so i really enjoyed that aspect of it i've always liked like uh powered armor and i i love the whole idea of space battles and all mm-hmm. that stuff but now i'm just trying to move away from we solve our problems by shooting it in the face mm-hmm. because i feel like we the way things are politically right now, I feel like it's irresponsible at a certain level to write stories like that now. And mm-hmm. we have so many of those. We need to focus more, humanity at large needs to focus more upon solving our problems in other ways and resolving issues as opposed to pretending they aren't there. Yeah. In uh, talking about the difficult stuff and being more, thinking more positively about resolving issues because i mean in my opinion uh being an optimist is more practical than being a pessimist Mm -hmm. because with if you're a pessimist you're not going to look for solutions just naturally you're just going to constantly react to problems right right whereas if you're an optimist you have hope that there will be a solution to this problem and you're open to new ideas and trying new things and so in the long term you're more likely to resolve that problem than if you approached it negatively. So to me, it's a, it's a pragmatic thing to try to promote more positivity, positivity Mm -hmm. and hopefulness. Uh, I think if we need it at any point in time, we really need it right now. Yeah. Um, So so I have a question. It's it's going to be very specific, but it's only because it's on my mind because of recent television stuff. Um, have you watched The Mandalorian? Yes. Okay. So this is not a spoiler for the last episode. It's simply something that happens in the last episode, and it's pretty much a person walks from one room to another room, so it's not a spoiler. But what I want to talk about is how I have like researched and tried to figure out a lot of ways that things can happen in space. Like in mm-hmm. in six wakes, I was very concerned since the the, the rotational gravity drive that there was going to be different gravity on different decks of the ship because they'd be spinning faster than the other. Like, I worked this out. And mm-hmm. then I'm watching The Mandalorian and one of the Mandalorians just jetpack up into the stratosphere and go into, goes into space, boards a a vessel, and then just takes his helmet off like it was just sitting on his shoulders. And I'm thinking, like, <laughs> there, there's no seal. And I'm pretty sure that there's just cloth underneath the armor and so he should have some pretty bad frost burns and going back down into the atmosphere is going to be, you know, that's, that's all. I mean, 
how do they get away with this? And can we? And is it just you make it look good enough? No one will care. What do you think? I think it's a combination of things, frankly. Um, Star Wars has never been terribly scientifically accurate. Yeah, there's sound and space and all that. Yeah, so, I mean, that's why a lot of people classify it as space fantasy, which uh, it's space opera. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> um, I let's not be cute with the term science mm-hmm. <laughs> in science fiction. That's kind of silly. Um, but regardless, I, I feel like there's a place, uh, totally a place for, for just pulling stuff out of your ass, not worrying about it. And you know, there's science fiction has a lot of a long, long standing tradition of fiction that, that does that. I feel like a lot of, marginalized authors have a tougher time getting away with that Mm -hmm. mind you but there is nothing in the science fiction rule book that says that thou shalt obey the rules of physics yeah yeah i don't know why that bothered me so much there's i mean there's so many other things blunt force trauma there's no story in the world that makes blunt force trauma a thing Mm -hmm. you know i had a friend who had a mild concussion from a car accident and she was in hell for months and mm-hmm. you know it's like you can get getting knocked out is just a plot point in in right. stories no yeah no you sneak up behind somebody and you knock them out yep and you then they, you know then they'll be asleep for a little while and then they'll wake up and everything will be fine mm-hmm. <laughs> no um so uh it seems so persephone station and loki's ring are not they're not Loki's Ring isn't a sequel, right? No, it's not really. Is it in the same uh, universe? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm writing a a third book that'll be set in the same universe. Okay. uh, Called Helix Falls. Uh, So I just wanted to do something where... uh, I I like world building, but you put so much effort into doing world building that I just wanted to do the thing where the setting remained the same. Mm-hmm. I can write all the standalone books in the world as long as it's in that setting, because I feel like I, one of my favorite things about Terry Pratchett is he has his one setting and he just makes it more and more real as it goes along mm-hmm. and fills in more of the corners of it which I, I believe adds to all of the novels in yeah. set in the world. So I, I just really kind of wanted to do that. Uh, Ian Banks with the Culture Series does the same thing. Uh, so Becky Chambers does. Yeah. It, the, yeah. The, the little bit of crossover that, that she's had has been like two characters who leave at the end of the first book are the main characters in the second book, but they almost they barely refer to what happens in the first book at all. So right. it's, it's something you can pick up at any time. Um, and I think that is just more realistic for how books are marketed these days and yeah. handled in book bookstores because bookstores no longer maintain backlists of yeah. books on their shelves, unless you're someone like Ursula K. Le Guin or J.R. Tolkien. Um, and then they have shelves and shelves of it. <laughs> Yes. Like, come on, man, make some room. Um, so I have a question about Loki's ring. Um, 
it's hard enough to write an alien species and how they look at the world and make them alien enough to be interesting so to a sci-fi nerd, but human enough to relate to as a character in a book that we're reading. And um, you have the aliens making an artificial space ring, and how do you approach an alien look at like massive space construction as opposed to how humans would have done it? Um, well, mostly the aliens in Loki's ring are kind of a cipher. Nobody knows what they, who they are, or you don't really meet one in the book. I guess it's a spoiler. <laughs> you don't, you don't meet the people that made that ring. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so I just used physics. Um, there's not a lot of really interesting YouTube lectures given on how one would, might create a ring world and uh, the physics involved in it and what would be the requirements and all that stuff. So I just based it all on that and uh, left this the extremely scary, technologically advanced aliens to be a mystery mm -hmm. for now. Um but yes, that is definitely a problem in in my opinion with with trying to come up with likely aliens. And I feel like one of the best ways to do it is actually using actual qualities from different creatures on Earth mm -hmm. that qualities that aren't normally something everybody thinks about. You know, like what? Julie Chineda had this great game i think she called it how to create an alien or something uh at the workshop that i used to run for armadillo con mm -hmm. uh so she would put all these different qualities of like sponges or ocean creatures or plants or whatever just separate one one line qualities in type them out put them in and cut them up put them in a baggie in one baggie and then another set of qualities in another baggie mm -hmm. right and then you'd pick one of each from the baggie just randomly pick them and then you had two qualities for your alien that you needed to base your alien on and really that works extremely well that's awesome i had not thought of that yeah it, it works extremely well so and i'm not asking for spoilers here i'm, I'm asking you as a, as, a, as a master of your craft um when you're how much of the aliens have you worked out in your head because we talked about the whole uh iceberg thing so do you have like a whole bunch that you're not showing us or th is there stuff you plan to show us or are you making it up as you go along i each novel it has its own different its own special process mm -hmm. in in my this is like my seventh well, my eighth novel i'm writing right now and for helix falls i'm actually working everything out ahead of time oh, wow. so that i know what certain rules are and so forth but in the past i've always been kind of a pantser mm -hmm. so i would just do whatever came to mind and then oh that's a neat idea i'll put it in there and then when i go back over it over the rough draft that's when I like really sit down and think really hard about each little thing and how it fits together and all that stuff. 
Mm-hmm. That's my that's my process generally. Right. But that also forces me to rewrite two thirds of the book almost every time. So <laughs> I have encountered that my last couple of projects and I'm kind of rethinking my process now. Yeah. And then I got in my own way and then I realized maybe I need just do need to write it down no matter how bad it is and fix it on rewrites. I don't know. As as Gene Wolfe told Neil Gaiman famously, you didn't learn how to write a book. You learned how to write that book and now it's over. And now you got to learn how to write the next one, which that's is, it. yeah, that's very, very true. What I'm dealing with. Premium Muhammad says the baggy method, a physical AI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, I like the randomness thing as well. Um, reminders, folks, if you have any questions, please put them in the chat and we will ask Stina. Um, so do you do you feel like you've, like, with the reception to uh, Persephone Station, at least, you feel like you've found your home in sci-fi? You, you feeling? Yeah, it just, it took off, like, big time. Mm-hmm. I really didn't expect it to, to tell you honestly. Um, I knew it was a big idea. I knew that it was going to, uh, <sighs> I don't know. You know how when you you get that one idea for a novel and you you're, you just get that feeling about it that it's special. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had that about Persephone Station. I also had that about A Blood and Honey. Um, so I knew it was going to do something, but I had no idea it was going to do that. Um, so I'm really really happy that it came to me story idea wise that it came to me when it did because it was kind of perfect timing. It's just a lighthearted kind of, we run out and do some crazy shit and blow things up and then it's fun and it's for laughs and Mm -hmm. it's for kicks. Right at the moment where I felt like we all needed something lighthearted and not serious and dark, deep and you know? (laughs) So I feel that was a a big reason why it did as well as it did. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm here for the foreseeable. I mean, as long until I'm kicked out, I I really love writing science fiction. I'm having a good time with it. Um, I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be good for me. That's great. Yeah. Do you have um, things planned out after uh, the Helix book or, I mean, you'll have to tell me what. Oh, yeah. I'm just curious Um, how far in the future you're thinking. No, not that far. Okay. (laughs) I know some people who've got their books planned out for for the next five or something. I don't know how they do that, but just... Yeah, I I don't either, frankly. I mean, it would probably be a good thing for me to do, Mm -hmm. but... I feel like our profession is so up in the air most of the time and out of our control. Yeah. I, part of me just doesn't even want to bother with that because who knows if it will, the work of planning it will be pay off if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like with uh, cold iron and Blackthorn, there was supposed to be a third book and I was ready. To, I was already in the, process of putting that together when they came to me and said nope there won't be a third one let's do mm. something else. Yeah. yeah so i mean it's like <sighs> i know i know holly black like plans everything like way in the future she's usually got four books ahead wow you know decided what she's gonna do with everything she's got it all laid out and i wish i was more organized than that yeah 
organized like that, but I am, I'm just not that person. I have ADHD. So yeah. So, um, how, how did I, I, I had to deal with the, you know, your series isn't doing it. So we're not going to do any more books in your series, uh, experience as well. I have, which is very flattering. I have fans coming up to me and saying, when are we going to get another book in the series? And in the world of self pub, in a perfect world, you'd think, well, I could totally do that, but I have not found myself doing that for a variety of reasons. And I was curious how you approach that, if that happened to you and, you know, what you thought about it. It happens all the time. I get a lot of people, I've even had, there's one particular editor that constantly walks up to me and goes, I want something from the of Bud and Honey world. I, I want something from that. Can, can you do something from that? And wow. I'm like, part of me is like, well, I mean, I could, but it took five years of research to do those two books. Wow. Why <laughs> so didn't do that again? <laughs> you know? Um, so there's that aspect of, because I've forgotten a large portion of the, of the research that I did for those. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that was, that was a decade ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there's that. Um, I also have a lot of people coming up to me and asking me about, of, of, uh, cold iron and blackthorn too. Um, I just say, no, there's just not going to be any more. Um, and when they ask me about it, I'm just like, uh, the money just isn't, isn't there. I have, yeah. I have to do this for money reasons, not entirely mind you, but mm-hmm. money is definitely a factor. It's not worth it to me to sit down and write out something that is just not going to benefit me as a writer in my career to continue focusing on something that isn't going to do well. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, not, not pay anything. I mean, just, I wouldn't be able to sell it. So yeah. Yeah. And yeah. also there's no advance. So yeah, you, you don't have any guarantee of any money. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a lot of work and, and a lot a of upfront payment. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm just not a, a self-published kind of person because yeah. you have to be able to do every single job or know who to hire. Well. And then that's money. Yeah. 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 And I'm just not that person. So I think it's important to know what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. Yeah. So Stina, what's your process? How do you, what have you learned in the last 10 years as works best for you to get words on the page? Well, <laughs> I like to, I really like to have characters that I, I, I usually try to start out with a character mm-hmm. and then from that character comes the idea. So I like, I'm a visual person. So I just kind of visualize a character and kind of follow them around in my imagination as far as where they would be going or what they would doing what they would be doing. So I like to start with, I start the story in the middle of the action because it's an instant attention grabber. And then, and then we get our feet under us as far as where we are and, and what's going on really. And all that other stuff bit by bit, it lets me, it gives me enough time to focus on figuring out the character and, and all that stuff. But my new process for this novel is that I am sitting down and writing out like what I'm making plans for what 
each motivation and character arc will be for each character and then thinking oh, wow. really hard about about how that's going to work out and how it's going to be I used to love and I still do uh, surprising myself with things right mm-hmm. um and I it's still it can it can still happen it's I still allow for that right but I just feel like it takes less time to like sit down and think about different things ahead of time yeah and then work out what those rules are in general. You can always change them. You can always ditch them uh, or whatever. But I just feel like it's it, it's a time saver to think about things ahead of time. Yeah. Okay. So that's basically it, really. I just sit down and write. <laughs> Do you have a preferred time of day or, or ritual or word count you try to go for or what? Mornings are good. Mornings are really good, but I can also do afternoons. And if I do afternoons, I I prefer to go to a coffee shop and like sit down and and do that. Um, Of course, during the pandemic, that was not an option. So yeah, mornings worked out really well for me because it's like the whole world is really quiet. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not just that no one in the house is on the phone or in meetings or whatever. It's just, I don't know. It just feels, everything feels calm. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think some of it too is like just come out of sleep and imagining stories is it's related to dreaming, you know, it's all daydreaming. Oh, interesting. So I feel like that's why mornings work, tend to work a little better because your brain is still in dream mode mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Okay. I hadn't thought of it that way. Interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, it's all subconscious, your subconscious, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one thing I do on the show is do a little bit of accountability to prove I have been writing. Um, I've been fretting and getting in my own way a lot this week. And then I made a decision. I, you listening live will not have heard this, but you listening to the podcast will have heard this. I recorded something about how I needed to stop talking about my works in progress and the various reasons why. And I think that's already helping me, even though a lot of the things I'm working on, I've already mentioned I'm working on, so it's already out there, but I'm I'm not doing that. But I did get like a th- over a thousand words on two different projects today, and that felt really good. Um, and we usually like to talk about good news on the show. In the future, y'all, I you can do your good news in the Discord, or you can email it to me. Um, I'm trying to think if I have any good news, but if you have any good news, put it in the chat. Um... And Stina, your good news besides Loki's ring coming out, what do you have anything to report that's awesome? And anything at any any part of your life is is worthy. Cool. Um I did sell the next book and it will be called Helix Falls. Woo! Congratulations. Yay. Yes. Thank you. Um Yeah, and that's that's the main thing, really. Um everything else is going fine and I'm finally getting over you know, I'm at the very tail end of getting over the bronchitis mm-hmm. that I got a week ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think I have any any good or bad news. Just things are about the same. Um, <laughs> dog health update. She's going to need a minor surgery to remove mm-hmm. the plate that they screwed to her leg when they fixed her... Uh, 
tendon rip because it's got an infection around it. But apparently that's like a very minor, you just open her up and unscrew the plate and take it out. And it's like, they're not messing with the, the, the bones or the tendons or the muscles or anything. They're just removing something. So my dog has had health, like constant health problems or injuries for about a year now, <laughs> just over and over again. And we're just waiting for things to, we feel like we're at the tail end of all of this crap, but health insurance for pets, get it. I'm telling you, y'all telling you. Uh, we have <laughs> we have good news coming in from Underpope. Three rejections since the last episode. Congratulations. That's amazing. Well done. You know, we cheer for... Uh, we cheer for rejections because rejection means you're a working writer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So congratulations, Underpope. Well done. Congratulations. Um, yeah, that Lee... Oh, that's right. We're doing a count. Here's the count. Right. Oh, I didn't turn the counter on. Man, bells and whistles. So much crap. Alright. Counter on. We got three rejections from Underpope. 2023 team rejection count is at 111. That's uh, after four months, y'all. That's amazing. Congratulations. Looks like you're going to blow last year's uh, number out of the water, actually. Um, but yeah, Stino, can you tell us where to find you online and where you're active social media, if anywhere? Oh, yes. I'm still trying to figure out where I'm going to settle. Yeah. Um, I'm probably not long for Twitter, since Twitter is now going to be using your tweets to educate their AI. Um. Yeah, without, I, without your permission. <laughs> I don't think I've heard that, but that, that just, I mean, it's its like going from room to room in the movie Clue and just seeing another dead body and they're all just like, there's yeah, another one. There's another dead body. <laughs> yeah, it's just one. not long for this world. So, but I am still kind of on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I really enjoy Instagram. I am also, I have a Patreon Stina Light, pretty easy to find. And also I have I have my website, but I don't post on the blog so much anymore. Um and I just signed up for Substack. Mm, so, yeah. I'm new with yeah. Substack as well. Yeah, and I'm on Tumblr, but Substack really looks like it might be useful. It seems to be they have a, a branch of it that's kind of a similar format to to Twitter, which might be an easier. Yeah, I need to, to research to. the very op- various options for. And I'm on Substack. Mastodon. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm on Mastodon. Yes, excellent. So am I. What? I'm so confused by Mastodon. I I won't lie, but I'm I'm on it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't figured it out yet. There Dang you are. It. Sorry. Anyway, uh, Stina, thank you so much for being on the show. Good luck with Loki's ring. I'm sorry about the dog, but I'm alone in the house, so she thinks there's a threat. But, um, yeah, we'll have all your links in the show notes, and uh, hope to have you on with your next book. Thank you. Can we do that? I hope to be on. That would be great. Excellent. Well, um, 
Thank you, everybody. The uh, Where you find me is MightyMur at gmail.com. And I'm on uh, the social medias. You search for Mur Lafferty or Mighty Mur, you'll probably find me. I'm not terribly active on any of them right now. I need to get back into that. Um, but uh, if you're interested in watching me stream on Twitch, it's twitch.tv slash MightyMur. And my latest book is Station Eternity, which was out in October. And it is Yay. if uh, Jessica Fletcher went to Babylon 5. Except <laughs> younger. So, but um, check that out if you like space uh, murder oh. mysteries. And I apologize for the dog, but uh, take care and y'all should be writing. Ugh, dog! I should be writing. It's available to you under a Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial No Derivatives license. Theme music by John Anilio. Art by Numbers Ninja. Production by Summer Brooks. And hosting by Libsyn. Find all of this information and more at merverse.com. And remember, we can't do this without you. Thanks for your support. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.